the sadness and brokenness of our lives and world is all too real. Sometimes it feels as if every day something new falls apart. What are we supposed to do? God's grand plan from the beginning of creation is for his beloved children to bless the world, to be present as he is present, to be faithful as he is faithful to his promises, committed not to ourselves, but to a world worth saving. you to turn into the book of Exodus. Last week we started in the book of Exodus. This morning we're going to continue uh, looking together. We're going to be looking at a number of different verses together, uh, sort of scattered throughout the book, uh, but we're going to start with uh, chapter 9 and then sort of work our way through. In our series, we have been noting that God creates from the beginning things that are very good, and we learn in the first book of the Bible that God is able to take what the enemy means for evil and turn it for good. He is able to take things like famine, like family disaster. He is able to take uh, sin and darkness and devastation, and he is able to turn it for his very good purposes. And in that, show himself to be present with his people, committed to his world, and in that way, bless the world. And he calls us to do the same. He calls us to be a people who do not abandon the world, but who commit to it. Perhaps some of you uh, saw last week this story out of Philadelphia, a heartbreaking story. There was a woman on the train and there were a number of other people in this train car. And someone got on the train and began to bother her. And nobody did anything. And then this person uh, who was bothering her began to bully her physically. And the people who were in the same train car as this woman uh, didn't do anything. They just sort of sat there. And after a while, this uh, person began to be assaulted. And people who were in the train car grabbed their phones, but instead of calling the police, instead of intervening, they began to record it. And that's all they did, was record it. And this went on not just for one train stop, but for multiple, this for, for almost 40 minutes. And the assault became more personal, more uh, invasive, more tragic, and never once did anyone intervene. You and I, as Christ followers, are not called to sit and watch. We should be those who rush in to disaster. After all, we know where we are going. We know how this story ends. To put our lives on the line for those whom God is committed to. 
Not to simply grab our phone and begin to record a world that is burning, but rather to be committed to it. Now, one of the dangers is that many of us, many of us have this sense that we are really not all that equipped to do anything strong enough or worthy enough to step in. There's something in us that says we really don't have all that much to offer. We go through the characteristics and the qualities of God and we think, well, maybe we've got one, but not all that many. But somebody else, they are equipped. They are able. God has given them a special skill set to be able to step into the middle of disaster. We watch a video on food scarcity and we think of the person who's going there walking among the tribes and think there's no way we could ever do that. And so instead of doing something, like that little boy who walks the beach and throws those starfish back into the ocean, instead of doing one small thing, or instead of doing something, we, we sort of step back and we say we've got nothing to offer. And our texts this morning are a massive corrective for two, of, two kinds of people this morning. Two kinds of people. The kinds of people who imagine that we are on our own solo and that we are like God. Most of us, that's not. That's not most of us. It's the second group that this message is also for. So let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. And as we think about how you call us to be your holy ones, your saints who are set apart to do your work. We pray that in the words of your word this morning, we would both see ourselves, understand ourselves, and be called to be faithful, to be committed, and therefore to bless the world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our first text this morning is from Exodus chapter 9. This is seven plagues in to the story of the rescue of Israel from Egypt. We've had blood, we've had frogs, we've had gnats, we've had flies, we've had livestock dying, and we've had skin sores called boils that would make anyone rush to the makeup aisle. And now we have hail, this text. Chapter 9, verses 13 through 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of Hebrews, says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. For this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you, and against your officials and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague and wiped you from off of the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. And we're going to skip ahead a few plagues to chapter 12, where uh, the last plague is being put into motion. 
On that same night, verse 12 of chapter 12, I will pass through Egypt and I will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Notice the similarities in language here about what God is saying he is doing and what it means. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are and when I see the blood, I'll pass over you for no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And of course, as we know the story, this last plague causes Pharaoh to wake up in the middle of the night, call Moses to himself and say, get out of my sight. I never want to see you again. And so Israel rises up in the middle of the night and they are sent out into the wilderness. And after being sent out into the wilderness, they are set free on the banks of the Red Sea as God allows them to pass through. He rescues them and brings them to Mount Sinai. And if you were here last week, Pastor Brian reminded us that God gives Moses a promise. As he says, take your sandals off. God gives Moses a promise. And he says, when you come out of Egypt, you will worship me on this mountain. That will be the proof to you that I am committed to my people. And so now in Exodus 19, they have been rescued. They have been brought to the mountain. And God is giving them now a new understanding of themselves. Verse 3 of chapter 19. Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. If you, fully, if you obey me fully, keep my covenant out of the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And after a number of chapters, their response can be found in chapter 24, verses 6 through 8. Moses took half of the blood, verse 6 of chapter 24, put it in the bowls, and the other half he splashed on the altar. He took the book of the covenant and read it to the people, and they responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. If we consider the person of Pharaoh, Pharaoh has set himself up as an equal to God. I've got a book here with a picture of uh, the sun god Ra. Pharaoh the Egyptian king was understood to be the very personalization, the very on-earth presence of the sun god. And so Egypt, when they would come to worship Ra, would worship Pharaoh himself and saw him not just as a regular human being, but as the very presence of God on earth. And of course, when Moses speaks to Pharaoh from God, on God's behalf, you get this sense that God is wanting to ensure that Pharaoh is completely undermined and humbled. 
And so that first text we read, that first text we read in uh, Exodus chapter 9, we hear these words, right? God comes and he says, I could have struck you, I could have killed you, I could have wiped you from the face of the earth. But I didn't do that. Because the way in which I will show my power through you is to allow you to imagine you have any power at all. Now that's sort of an odd thing to think about, that God would allow Pharaoh to imagine that he has any ability and power at all, and yet God says, even in how great you think you are, I'm simply using you to show the world how great I am. And if you have your Bible open, and you are in chapter 9, and you flip down to verse 20, Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, God is going to take you down a notch. And Pharaoh says, nope, I'm in charge. I'm the one who controls the weather. I'm the one who controls the sun. I'm the one who controls the rain. I'm the one who controls the crops. And yet God says, I'm going to send fire and I'm going to send hail and it's going to destroy all of that. And of course, there are people in the room. There are advisors. There are officials. There are people from Egypt who are hearing the rumors through the the walls of the palace. They're hearing the rumblings through the hallways and they are seeing through these plagues that every single time Pharaoh is brought down just a little bit of a notch. And in verse 20 of this plague, we find officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord. Notice it doesn't say that they fear God, but they fear the word of the Lord. They know Moses When he says something, there's power behind it. There's true power, true honesty. And so what do they do? They bring their slaves and their livestock inside. It's almost comical to think about that. If you think about sort of the the pharaohs on his throne and all the officials are, are around them and Moses comes in and talks and they're like, oh yeah, Pharaoh, you got it, you got it. And then, you know, they're sort of texting to the side. Quick, take the, take the cows inside, you know. Quick, take the slaves out of the field. You know, there's this sense of they don't even believe the person they're supposed to imagine to be God. And God allows this in order to undermine whatever human belief we hold on to, that we are somehow God's equals. That with enough power, with enough wealth, with enough wisdom, with enough planning, with enough ability to give orders that somehow we can keep control. And the challenge for some of us this morning is the it's a rather stark challenge and a stark reminder that even if we don't want God to use us, or we try to set ourselves up, God is going to, just like he did with Pharaoh, use us for his glory. We are going to be used by God, whether we choose to be or not. And for some of us, that's a hard word because we would rather choose our own way. 
But as I noted, that's a much smaller percentage of us. Many more of us, like the Israelites, who come to Mount Sinai having been rescued as a nation of slaves. So if you flip ahead to Exodus chapter 19, we get the second truth here. Because God is coming to Israel and he is saying, you saw how I used Pharaoh, how I set him up to show who I was, to show my power, my greatness. And Pharaoh, of course, is crippled in that. Brought all the way down to the lowly. But what does it mean for the lowly who have had no identity, no livelihood, no sense of self, who have been rescued? And what God says to them and what God says to us is you are saints. You are holy ones who are set apart. God, through Moses in verse 4 of chapter 19, you have seen for yourselves what I did. Now if you obey me and keep my covenant, out of the whole, though the whole earth is mine, I could have chosen anyone, but I chose you. And you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And of course, in chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, chapter 21, chapter 22, chapter 23, God lays out what it means to be holy, how he will be in relationship with them and how they will be in relationship with each other. And God says, I will make you my set-apart ones to proclaim my name to the nations. This morning, we, in hearing this text, are reminded of our call to be holy ones set apart to be God's priests and nation. It is challenging for some of us to imagine that when we go to work in the morning or when we go to our place of volunteering, that there is anything significant about who we are or what we are called to do. How can be punching numbers into a spreadsheet to make numbers balance be holy work? How can going to our desk and responding to 250 emails every day be holy work? There are times when we're putting meals together for the kids at Marshall Elementary where we wonder, we know we're putting food, but does it really mean anything? Is there anything more to this than what meets the eye? Or is all this is the surface level of life? Is the product we're selling really mean anything beyond the piece of paper we're offering or the product we're giving? Is the volunteer work actually lasting? Or is it just giving us a sense of good feelings in our heart? And we can imagine that Israel, having wandered through the desert, having been set free, having known nothing but slavery, nothing but brick making, nothing but tiresome labor, 
for 430 years. To hear these words would have been in many ways as striking and as startling as they are for us. But God's plan is to use this rambunctious, forgotten group of people, these slaves, to tell the world who he is. And if we were to keep working our way through the story, we would find out that the Canaanites, when they hear about the Egyptians coming through the Red Sea and hearing about what God is doing among them, they know the stories. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have newspapers, but word has spread. And in Egypt, they knew that God was the one true God and using the people of Israel to draw the world to himself. And in many ways, the challenge or the corrective for us this morning is to see the way in which God humbles Pharaoh, the powerful, the ones who have. And he says, I'm going to use those who have not, the ones who have been forgotten. And if we were to pull the words right out of 1 Corinthians, we would hear that God uses the things of this world which seem foolish to shame those who imagine they are wise. That God uses the things that are not to shame the things that are. Not for our glory, not for the building up of our name, but for his name and for his glory. And the work of the saint the work of you and I as those who have been called is to recognize that wherever we are on Monday morning at 9.30, that is the holy place in which the Lord God dwells. The pillar of cloud has gone ahead of us into that space and we are the place in which God's name is proclaimed. And at 9.30 at night when we, our day is over and we are resting for the day, or maybe for some of us our day is just beginning, that that is the place where the Most High dwells and where His name is being proclaimed, where His glory is being shown, and where we are being used for Him. Let's pray. Gracious God, your plan from the beginning was to use us. And sometimes we need the reminder of Esther that we have been called for such a time as this. The Israelites were so glad to be rescued, so glad to be delivered, and yet you didn't just set them free to live a life of being delivered. You set them free for a greater purpose to show the world who you were, who you are. And the same is true of us. You call us not just to come here on Sundays to give you praise, to lift up your name. You call us to do that. But you also call us and you equip us through the person of your son, Jesus, and through his spirit to go out and to be the little places where you are present. 
God, when we forget that, we allow situations like that of the train to just happen and to do nothing. But when we remember that we have been rescued and that we have been equipped with the armor of God and that our battle is against not the forces of flesh, but the enemies and the powers of darkness. And we already know that the battle is won. We can go in the strength of the Lord, knowing that the battle belongs to you. And so make us holy, set apart, pleasing in your sight, to be your presence, your hands and feet. We pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.